Welcome to Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On with Janice Formicella. I'm Janice Formicella, a breakup coach passionate about supporting others to learn from their breakups, overcome loneliness, love being single, and see the end of a relationship as the beginning of a magical, sexy new chapter in life. I am here each week to share with you the tools that I have learned through my own painful breakups, through hitting rock bottom more than once, and through working with people all around the world to heal their broken hearts. If you are looking for hope and strength to move on from your breakup and resources to enjoy your new life, you are in the right place and I've got your back. Welcome, everyone. Have you ever thought that no matter what you did, you still can't find someone to connect with? This can definitely happen after a breakup or once you're kind of starting up again. And I know that it leads some people, especially people I talk to who are or a lot of them listeners, they feel like giving up on dating. Today's episode is for you. I am back with one of my favorite co-hosts, Brian Dunn, to help you turn your insecurities and your limiting beliefs around to build the confidence you need to have more success in dating. And before we start, if you want one-on-one support with this, yay, Brian and I both do one-on-one dating coaching. We have some different perspectives, different ways of going about it, but we're both here for you. You can find the information in the show notes. And before we get started, I will ask Brian to share his website or any other uh, contact info before diving into helping you overcome your self-doubt. Hello, friend. Hello, Janice. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And just really quick, I'll plug my website. It's Brian with an I, C Dunn.com. And my TikTok and Instagram are MR Brian C Dunn. Amazing. Everyone, yeah. everyone go click, follow his content, hit us up if we can help you. So we're going to talk about self-doubt today and questioning whether or not you are dateable. Brian, you like the analogy, or is it a metaphor? Hmm. Okay, the a lid for every it's, pot. It's been been quite a few years since I was in high school English. Oh, class, gotcha. So. Well, I'm <laughs> I'm a writer in addition to a coach, so I like to think about things in those terms. Can you talk to us about self doubt and what you think is a lid for every pot? I thought it was so adorable that you put it this way. Yeah, I I love the phrase a lid for every pot because it's it's easy to get into the mindset kind of feeling stuck. I, am I dateable? It, am I ever going to find somebody? Am I going to be forever alone? Um, am I too weird? Am I too this or that? Am I not enough this? And we, we sort of think of we are very unique and 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 no one else is like us. But we see everyone else as sort of a monolith or or sort of very the same. And they're all normal and something's wrong with us or something's weird about us. But there's somebody who's going to like you for you and somebody who's feeling the same way as you and it's going to 
be a good match for you. There is a lid for every pot, no matter how big or small or what shape your pot is or a lid is, there's somebody out there for you. Agreed. And that's I what we're listening. here to talk about today is how to mm-hmm. how to figure out what what your size and shape of your lid or your pot is and, and how to um, go out there with confidence and, and find your matching piece. That's adorable. I love it. My One of my favorite uh, phrases is not my cup of tea. Um, so that has nothing to do with this, but I like that there's um, tea-related expressions. It is perfectly normal to have self-doubt when dating, when dating again, when trying to really make progress with your dating. And if you've been through a breakup, it's so normal. Let's talk about some of these reasons. And do any of these resonate with you, dear listener? One of them, and one of them that I see kind of a lot coming from the ex-Mormon community is a lack of dating experience, especially when you get to a certain age and you may have been married or just didn't really get out there before. You can feel that you just don't know what you're doing. Some of us may also feel self-conscious if you had a long dry spell, meaning that you didn't date or have sex for a while. I personally would throw this away if this is a issue that you're having. I don't think that when you start dating again, that this necessarily even needs to come up unless you're proud of it or want it to come up. What do you think, Brian? Why do you think a dry spell can get people down? I think... For me, that this is not uncommon just because dating and like technology has moved so fast. And we feel like the last time I was dating, not me personally, but some of you might say, last time I was dating, there was no internet dating. Or what is Tinder? Or Tinder is sort of like used to be the thing. And now it's it's this other new app or whatever. So dating moves at such a fast pace now that it can be easy to seem like or feel like I haven't dated since my 20s or 30s. And now you're in your 40s or 50s or whatever. And how do you even date? Like, it's different when you're in high school or or college or in your 20s, you go to bars, you go hang out. Where do people in their 30s or 40s even congregate anymore or or meet new people? So just kind of how how to meet people, how to actually go about dating and kind of that lack of of confidence because of a lack of skill or exposure to how people do date in this Mm -hmm. 2023? Well, you can go online or you can meet people in the wild. That's what I do. And then as far as the dry spell and not necessarily dating or having sex for a while, I mean, it's valid to be insecure about that. But do you think that people really care? And that maybe this would be something to overcome quickly? That's a good point. I don't think other people care. I think that when you are trying to date, you any anything that might be different or anything you might have a little bit of lack of confidence in that might be sort of an insecurity of yours because you are wondering if, if you can even do this thing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And I promise you, you can everyone. Another reason some people are insecure and some people listening to the show are insecure is getting back out there after a long-term relationship or a divorce. This would have been one of my limited beliefs at one time when I first got divorced I thought people were going to care and I was embarrassed to talk about it. I was young, to be honest, when I got divorced and that did make it uncomfortable for me because people were surprised that that I had gotten divorced when I wasn't even 30. But 
nobody held it against me. No one cared. However, I do understand the discomfort. Yeah. And and for me, this, this kind of ties into the dry spell or lack of dating experience. Like if you were married for 10, 15 years, it's been a long time since you actually tried dating. So that's one thing. But also whether it, you, you see people who are insecure about being divorced or not having been married. I'm 40 and I've never been married, but people think that's weird. Will that be a mm-hmm. turnoff? So anything about you is kind of a fair game for an insecurity, not that it's good or bad, but that's just something that that may be common and something to think about. And that's what we're here talking about today. Yep, we are going to talk about overcoming all of this. So Brian, talk to us about Reddit and is it a turnoff if I'm not on Reddit, you do inspire me to maybe move past my fears of Reddit and get on there. Uh, but talk to us about this this concept or trend that it is. So we have Instagram, TikTok, very visual-based, very video-based. Reddit is kind of an old-school social media, but you see a lot of people in the subreddits, so like the, the groups for dating advice, relationship advice, um, even like ask men over 30, ask women over 30, whatever it might be, dating after 40. But you see a lot of people come in with comments and questions. Is it a turnoff if, and then just, it can be anything. And just people wondering, is it a turnoff if I'm 40 and bald and Oh, what, so it's what, about whatever. yourself. Oh, yeah, no. so people are wondering if they are undateable. And that's where my my whole idea for this episode came from is so many people out there think that these small things about them make them undateable when it's just normal to be, you know, have not had a relationship in five years or to be bald or to be short or tall and skinny, whatever it is. And so there's so many of these things like, yeah, it's totally normal. Reddit is sort of a hit or miss. There's maybe 5% like good solid dating advice. And otherwise it's sort of crowdsourcing your mental health or your kind of dating. If you do go on there, you see this quite a lot of people just insecure or unsure if they are dateable or not. And they think maybe that's the reason they're not having luck or or finding a partner. I really hope that it's an affirming space because it makes me a little sad. And that is, again, why we are doing this episode. And for anyone who's bald out there, a lot of people like that. So shake it off. <laughs> yeah. And and I'll just say, yeah, it's usually very affirming. Okay. Usually, you know, everybody says, oh, that's totally normal. But and, and it can be people who are older can be like a 18, 19 year old saying, is it a turnoff if it, and because they ha- don't have a lot of experience with the opposite sex or same sex, if that's it, just unsure and wanting to be reassured that they're normal and they're they're going to be OK. Well, we are here to help with that effort. You are normal. You're wonderful. And there is someone out there for you. Brian and I are both going to talk briefly about our limiting beliefs. I had to think about this, to be honest. Yes, when I first got divorced, I was worried people would care. But after the first time of me telling someone and seeing his reaction, I tossed it out. So that was easy for me to overcome. And then I think another limiting belief that I had for a long time was that relationships were kind of a love at first sight experience and that the chemistry, it was important for the chemistry to be there in the beginning. And it led me into relationship disaster after relationship disaster. And not everyone has to do this, but in my last relationship before I moved back to the States, I was so into this guy. 
Oh, he's now known on the show as Laundry Boy, and I just wanted it to work out so bad. We were probably exclusive within like a week of kissing the first time, and it did totally end up blowing up in my face. And so I decided that I didn't want to go through that anymore, and I took a break to learn about myself, to learn about why I had these patterns, and to decide what I was going to do differently And it was one of the best things I've ever done. And as far as when I knew I was ready to date again, I'm a confident person. And it got to a point where I realized how much I loved myself and how much of a catch I was. And just that I was, I felt unstoppable. I did lots of things by myself, which we'll talk about later. And it was through that process that I got to the point I am now where dating kind of a lot and in happy situations too. What about you, Brian? I, I've i noticed over the years, so I, I got separated, divorced around 2015 or so. And over the years noticed as I've gone through my self-exploration and healing journey and all of that, that you tend to date people or attract people at the level you're at in your, in your journey. So it's very soon after divorce or after breakup, you are in a certain phase or a certain stage, and that's kind of the people you gravitate towards and who gravitate towards you. And and maybe you know six months after divorce or six years after divorce, you'll hopefully be. If you're listening to great podcasts like Janice's here and you're doing a lot of self work, you are in a very different place six years after. So you realize the types of people and the types types of relationships or or dates or whatever it is that I was going for six months after divorce, I would never accept that or, or settle for that or attract that now. So I think that's very telling and you are able to look at your growth. So if you are a little bit insecure about your lack of experience or too much experience, whatever whatever <laughs> it might be. Experience. Yeah, I guess that's a thing as well. <laughs> so if whatever you're, you're looking at, as long as you were growing and you were a little bit further along than you were yesterday or last month, last year, you're on a forward trajectory. So just as an example, um, very early on after my split from my marriage, I was actually thinking about yesterday going through this and there was not one, but there's two people that I had dates with early on. And then I reconnected with later on, like three or four years later. And I realized that when I had first met them, I was sort of in a auditioning. I hope they like me. I'm seeking validation kind of mindset of just hope this date goes well, hope they like me, hope I get a second date and kind of searching for that. Whereas three, four years later, I was in a much better place rather than auditioning for them and and trying to get a second date or trying to get somebody like me. I was in the choosing place and, and going through my criteria. Is this someone I want to go on another date with? Is this kind of a dynamic I want to continue? So I think barring anybody definitely no victim blaming on on any sort of people who are being targeted by narcissists or abusive people but i do think whatever you call it attracting or settling for or accepting into your life i do think that that is something that we we can't control other people we can only control where we're at and what we allow into our lives whether you call that energy or treatment or or whatever that is just being at a place to settle for Emotional intelligence. If you want an emotionally intelligent person, 
they are also going to be emotionally intelligent to know if you are bringing too much drama <laughs> or if you are reacting and not communicating in a healthy way. So it goes both ways. It definitely does. And I can relate to after my divorce, I was kind of a mess. I really just wanted company and sex and <laughs> I attracted people who are also kind of a mess. So <laughs> let's talk about where this feeling of Am I dateable or am I undateable comes from? There are two areas where this comes from. Do you want to lay it out for us? Yeah, the first area I think is from insecurities and kind of a deeper level limiting beliefs or self-limiting beliefs. And insecurities are basically a feeling of inadequacy or not being good enough mm -hmm. and uncertainty. So it can produce anxiety about your goals, relationships, ability to handle whatever kinds of situations. And this can be in the romantic sort of dating space or any aspect of your life. And feeling self-conscious is kind of another aspect of an insecurity. And that's feeling an undue awareness of yourself maybe your appearance or your actions and having a sense of worry about being judged or feeling less than others. So whether you're 16 and, and never talk to a girl or a guy or you're 45 and you are just out of a divorce, these things can come up because other aspects of life are, you know, at work, whatever it is, those are very impersonal in comparison. But when you are in a romantic situation, you, you like somebody, it's very personal if they don't like you. And so that can be very vulnerable, make you very vulnerable, very, um, very risky for, mm -hmm. for your emotions. And so you think limiting beliefs and insecurities kind of tie in with each other? Yeah, yeah. I think the insecurities can be kind of more surface level, a bit more shallow, but limiting beliefs are going to be a, a deeper core level programming that will take more work to, to overcome. And you can overcome it. I know that some of these things seem so difficult and that if you have just kind of struck out time and time again, that you may really believe that this is just how it's going to be. It is not, I promise you, doing the self-work, you really can turn things around. I think it's rare-ish for people to do it because it does take intention, but I know how possible it it really is. And if you're here listening to this, you're one step of the way forward. What are some common areas of self-consciousness and insecurities? If you're listening, some of this may not have resonated with you yet, and you may think that your insecurity is really valid, but we're here to tell you it might be really common. So like we said, lack of experience. Some people may not have been in a really serious relationship. Some people may not have as much sexual experience as you think those around you do. Single too many years, or maybe because you have kids. Or you <laughs> or don't you have don't kids. don't have kids, yes. Yeah. So I will say I relate to this the tiniest bit. I'm a member of the solo community, and I haven't had tons of really serious relationships. And sometimes I do wonder if people see that as some sort of pink flag. I've gotten over it, but I can relate to that. And you bring up a, a good point I, I was going to bring up as well, which was the flags. And sometimes within the dating space, social media and wherever we hear, oh, they've never been in a relationship. Oh, that's a red flag. And then you hear that and, oh my God, am I like a walking red flag? Really? <laughs> so sometimes these can sort of backfire if we overthink them. I think for me, separating deal breaker that's very personal, like what's a deal breaker for you versus red flag for me is sort of a caution warning sign, investigate. Is it because like 
can't hold a relationship and they're very emotionally unstable? Or is it because they've been focusing on their career and just haven't put in the effort to find someone? So what is the reason behind kind of the thing you want to dig a little bit deeper? Yes, about? please do. Because all these years that I haven't had very long-term relationships, I've also been very happy and working on myself. So yeah, don't let that get in your way. Of course, too much experience. If you have kids, if you're divorced, if you've had lots of relationships, that may be an insecurity. When I got divorced, I was in my late 30s at the time, and I had two teenage kids, and I was worried one of my insecurities was, who's going to want to date me? Women would want to, in my area here, they would want to date someone with a clean slate. So am I undateable? Going back to the topic of the... Of the episode, am I undateable because I'm divorced and have kids when women would want someone to start a family with and have kids with? So that was one of my big insecurities early on. And there are people with preferences all over the spectrum when it comes to divorce and kids and all of that. I would also say don't let this hold hold you back for sure. Career and job role, income, making too much money, not making enough money, maybe thinking that you aren't far enough on your career to attract someone who, who is a little farther. This can hold someone back. I know I've heard a lot of women do this whole men are intimidated thing. And I promise you, there are men out there who are incredibly turned on and attractive to ambitious, successful women and obviously vice versa. <laughs> of course, being insecure about your looks. And again, I promise you there's people who are attracted to all sorts of things. You might worry that you're too tall, too short. I think the too short thing, especially for men, is probably prevalent today because there's been so much focus on it. Okay, what is even the percentage of men who are over six foot? It's so it's, small. It's only like 14% or so. I really wish that women would stop focusing on it and men would stop being insecure about it. It's stupid. Uh, maybe your weight, maybe your hair, maybe your living situation. I mean, how many people maybe live with their family and think that people won't be into that? And maybe that you are always attracted to either the wrong person, a toxic person, situationships, a certain type, and you feel like you get burned all the time. We're going to talk about types. <laughs> there could be something like family, religion. I will say in my experience in the ex-Mormon community, I do come across this. People are worried that either have too much baggage or... Yeah, again, like because they have several children that now that they're out, it's going to be hard for them. Or if you have an STI, I've also seen this hold people back and it kind of breaks my heart. So this all goes down to will someone like me if I am blank? And again, what is normal? And as Brian already told us, there is no normal. A million people are just like you. You're wonderful and great. <laughs> Just Brian, the way you are. Just the way you just are. Just the way you are. Yes, Mr. Rogers was right. <laughs> and I think the, the more you embrace what you are and who you are, the more that you'll see there's other people just like you. Brian, let's talk about limiting beliefs. So we talked about insecurities, which are a little bit more surface level. Limiting beliefs are a deeper core level programming or belief about yourself or about kind of how the world works. It might be from a childhood, 
childhood experience, maybe you were bullied or heard a parent or a sibling or a friend or teacher say something about you, and you internalize that as being true. So there's a saying, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. It's mm -hmm. your beliefs determine your reality. And these beliefs, in, in a way, they're a coping mechanism. They help keep you safe from rejection, safe yeah. from failing, because you never go after what it is that you want. That might look like, and these are in all aspects of life, but it might sound like I'm too short or tall or skinny or fat or poor, or ugly, old, young, stupid. A girl or a guy like that would never go for someone like me. Or I could never quit my job and start my own business. That's just kind of a pipe dream. Or girls only go for tall, rich, good-looking guys with expensive cars. Why would someone be into me? Mm -hmm. Or I can't let my guard down with someone again because then I'll just end up with a broken heart. I'm done with dating. Yeah, I've experienced that, <laughs> obviously. Someone like that would never be interested in me, so this can't possibly be flirting. They're just being nice. So your belief interprets what is going on to fit your belief that they couldn't be into you. They couldn't be <laughs> attracted to you. So it must just be them being nice. I kind of um, went through this recently and boy, was I wrong. <laughs> care to share? Um, yeah, I thought that he was just being really friendly. And I thought it was a little interesting because he did um, tend to text a lot. But it was it was very friendly. I hadn't really gotten to the flirting, but I, I did notice that it was often. And yeah, I just kept on talking myself out of the fact that he could be doing this because he was interested in me. And um, one night we happened to have a chat about it. And yeah, it was the exact opposite. <laughs> very nice. So all of this takes a reframe. So when you step back from the belief and look at the evidence in the real world, it appears that there's like a special rule that only applies to you, but not necessarily to other people. Like tons of people quit their jobs and start a business. 80% of men are married by the age of 40. So even if you're five foot seven, there's still a chance, even because you're not like six feet tall, or whatever. So there's all these things and we, we get it in our mind and that determines our reality that there's a special rule or special rules that only apply to us. And so sometimes there are like the positive affirmations, like positive thinking and positive talk, good vibes and things like compliments. If it's a more deeper rooted limiting belief, then these kind of surface level things can't really change those limiting beliefs. It's like if you have a pair of sunglasses and it's tinted so the sky looks green and people keep telling you the sky is blue. So just imagine you're a kid, like eight years old, you get bullied at school, but your mom tells you, oh, you're not funny looking, you're, you're so handsome and adorable. But if you're if you have this belief, then somebody telling you the opposite is not going to change. It doesn't help you if it contradicts or if if it uh, goes against that belief you have about that bad thing about yourself. So even if you don't love yourself, you don't think you're attractive, whatever, just standing and saying things in the mirror, like I'm so attractive and I'm such a good person. That can be hard when that belief is so deep within you. Um, it feels inauthentic to say good things about yourself or whatever that belief might be. So this is where you have to get into doing some self-work or maybe with a therapist or somebody, but to write those out and really deconstruct them. Otherwise, they're still going to be in the back of your mind and kind of at the core level of your personality or your psyche until until you actually work on them what do you think are some other ways other than counseling to get past these limiting beliefs and I do agree that it can be hard to 
say affirmations or have chats in the mirror with yourself if these beliefs are so ingrained in yourself. One thing that I encourage my clients to do, try to prove themselves wrong by thinking about a time that their limiting belief was proven wrong. For instance, obviously lots of my clients have been through breakups. And so once they start dating again, they definitely think I'm not good at this. I can't do it. I've attracted someone bad already. And so I probably will attract someone bad again. And so I like to remind people, you attracted your last relationship and you attracted one before that as well. And so obviously there are people who are drawn to you and there will be again. And if you work on your patterns and your behaviors and your self-confidence, you'll attract different types of people. But don't tell me that you can't uh, attract people and that people don't want to date you because you've already told me, you know, three or four people who you've dated. That's the thing about the limiting belief is it filters, it reinterprets the data that's coming in to still suit your, your belief about yourself. Like I, I can never find someone. I can never attract someone. Oh, they don't count because it doesn't align with your belief. So you have to go in a little bit deeper and re rewrite that. So that can be, like you said, through working with a coach or a therapist, yep. doing it out loud. And, and it's, there are multiple parts. So it's either out loud thinking, a thinking exercise or journaling, reflecting on past experiences, like different data or different evidence that contradicts your limiting belief. Yep, exactly. And then on top of that, moving forward, gaining new experiences to solidify the new beliefs, to, to reinforce them, to cement them into belief so you don't fall back on the belief that you had before. Mm -hmm. And you can do it. And maybe also if you don't have as much experience as you'd like, and that's one of your insecurities, look to someone who's maybe kind of similar to you and see the success that they're having. I dated someone when I was in Australia who's Asian. And he's told me that for the longest time that held him back like crazy. He had this idea in his mind that women weren't attracted to, to Asian men. And for a while he didn't date. He was really nervous about approaching women. He worked on himself. And I will tell you what, this guy was very successful <laughs> with women and he was able to completely turn that around. Brian, let's talk about some of our experiences again. Can you tell me a story about your past limiting beliefs and how you are and how you feel now about that belief? Yeah, I'll actually walk through a worksheet that I did. So I, after my divorce, I had, I was holding on to some limiting beliefs about myself that were from my childhood, from my teenage years. I had some success in dating but there were other parts that I wanted to work on. So I was working with a dating coach. And one of the first things we did was this exercise about destroying the limiting beliefs. And then after that, it was sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. So I have a version of this, not with my personal information, but I do have the questions. I have a limiting belief article on my website, briancdunn.com. You can go there, read the article, grab the questions and do this on your own. Sometimes it may take a few iterations. It's not going to be like a overnight magic pill. You may have to revisit it a week later, a month later, and there may be multiple, or you may have to dig deeper into what the underlying, underlying under that might be. But um, so I'm going to 
go through the questions and also give some of my parts of my answers when I went through this a number of years ago. So the first question is, what belief has been holding you back the most from success with women? What's the biggest obstacle to you reaching your amazing outcome? At the time, I didn't want to be seen as that guy, that creepy, pushy guy that doesn't respect women. Further in my answer, I'm not young and cool and exciting or talkative and high value enough to talk to or attract women or to be wow. desired enough for it to be okay to go for a touch or a kiss on a first date. And I find overbearing and pushy guys only think about getting laid and that women are just objects there for men's attention and pleasure to be annoying and creepy. So I'm too comfortable being the nice guy, good guy that doesn't rock the boat. I don't want to be the bad guy. So this is this belief that's holding me back from wow. being able to be more assertive. Mm -hmm. And the second question is, what stories do you tell yourself to justify this belief? What's your evidence? So you have to kind of dissect where this belief came from. For me, it was hearing anecdotes from women about pushing men who are too handsy or too aggressive, not reading social cues or body language and going for a kiss when it's very clearly a no. Um, also, I'm shy and don't talk to strangers much and get more shy when I find the person attractive. So sometimes I would feel ashamed of, or usually I would feel ashamed of finding the person attractive and just not expressing that. So, and also not Mormon, but I grew up in a Christian household. So it was very, have to be a gentleman, not uh, make any moves, not express any desire kind of thing. Would have to wait for a very clear, explicit <laughs> green light to make a move kind of mm. thing. Would feel ashamed of my own attraction to women or, or desire to have sex. Number three, what's the payoff for the belief? So what does the belief, this limiting belief do for you or what does it allow you to not do? So holding on to this belief, I would never have to be rejected or face the risk of being the too pushy guy. I could sit back and subtly flirt and test the waters until there was a more, more clear green light. I could sit back and use dating apps to get dates, but then on the dates, I wouldn't have to get outside of my comfort zone, et cetera, et cetera. And that would allow... If somebody really liked me, they could choose me. And then those would be the relationships I would end up in. Yeah. And question four, how do you feel about yourself when you fully buy into this belief? And for me, that was like, I'm the guy that women think is maybe hot or nice, but doesn't necessarily see as someone they'd want to go out with or make out with or, you know, have sex with, not that attractive guy. I'm not the type of guy that is allowed to do stuff like hook, hook up with women on dates or take them home from a bar kind of thing. So it was just not for me. And number five, what actions do you avoid when you feel this way? What are the consequences of feeling this way? What's the cost? What is the future cost if you continue down the road of this belief, maybe 10 years down the road? So for me, that was playing it safe, not approaching women, not going after the ones I was really attracted to, or going on dates and having them end up in the friend zone, no attraction, because I was being too much of a gentleman. And number six, what could be untrue about this belief? Could this be a misinterpretation? Are you 100% sure it's true? How could this story be untrue? So this is where you start to dissect. Maybe there's some counter evidence that your beliefs right. may not mm -hmm. be true. So sometimes I would notice women looking at me or smiling at me. I've had women come up to me at bars and talk to me. Embarrassing flirting stories where I had no idea they were flirting with me. <laughs> At this point, I had been, you know, dating a lot, like two or three, four years. And sometimes I would be sort of in disbelief of the people I would match with in some of the conversations we would have on the apps. And so that was still not 
registering as, oh, you're an attractive guy, you're you're a wanted kind of guy. So it was for me, it was just sort of blind luck or, again, not within my definition of what I saw myself. Number seven, who could you be without the story, the belief? Where would you be if the story vanished? And then in this case, who could you date or what experiences could you have? So if I was free of this belief, I could walk up to strangers and talk to them, start conversations, get their number, et cetera, et cetera. I could make moves on first dates, uh, go for first date kisses, that kind of thing. At this point, it's sort of like weighing the two. The next question is, what do you want more, your old belief or your new belief? Yeah, yeah. And then so you have to kind of sit there and think, do I want to live this life I've been living or do I want the new change? So, of course, you want the new outcome. So number nine, what new belief must you have in order to get this result? So for me, my new belief was I can respectfully assert my attraction and interest in women, whether it's on a dating app or out in the wild or on a date, without coming across as a creep and without making them hate me. <laughs> without making them hate me. And then Aww. number 10, what are three pieces of evidence that the new belief is true? And here's where you go back and look at, this was the stuff that, that I didn't think about at the time, but actually does support the new belief. Um, there was a time where I volunteered at like a, a beer tent at one of those kind of festivals, volunteered for the school, and I was handing out beer. They would bring up the tickets, and two women came up and, and gave me their tickets. I gave them the beer, said, they they told me, oh, you have really beautiful eyes. And I just thought it was weird at the time. I had no <laughs> idea. That, eh. And there were other That's times. That's a pass. That's a pass. Yeah. Yeah. And there were other times um, just looking back on experiences where someone was clearly flirting with me. I didn't realize it. Or it's kind of the kinds of experiences I would have, but just kind of think, oh, that must just be a coincidence or that doesn't fit within my belief, belief system. system. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you dissect, you pick a new belief system, you find the evidence, and then after that step of the journaling or whatever it is, working with the therapist, the coach, you go and you build new experiences that reinforce the new belief system. And so that's the, the important part. Insecurities, they're, they're more surface level. Those aren't as deep, but these are very, very deep experiences from bullying and for things that happened. And it takes a little bit more work to rewrite them. Well, I mean, you're a perfect example of someone who has. I mean, you told me before that you had the nickname of Hot Dad. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my examples of, even though I had this experience, there was a, a co-worker who had a crush on me, and then we sort of had a, a little on and off fling yeah, yeah. Um, at the very beginning, but that still didn't register for me that I was this attractive guy. But anyway, I, had, uh, I met some of her friends, and I overheard one of them say, is that Hot Dad? And then that's how I I found out that I had that nickname. (laughs) Whoa. Oh, my God. I didn't know that part of the story. (gasps) Oh, I'd love that for you. Oh, and so along the lines of (laughs) getting out there and creating new experiences, maybe we can talk about the fact that dating is actually a skill. It is. And it's something that you can learn. It's something that can be hard for some people to learn. And that is, I mean, look, let's just face it. I mean, you're interfacing with people, you're trying to build chemistry, you're trying to um, communicate, you have to go through figuring out how to text, how to get it across that you're interested, how to learn how to flirt. That is definitely a skill, interpersonal skills. So, 
where in this process are you stuck? For a long time, I struggled with communication and using my voice when something happened with someone I was dating that I didn't like. I would hold it in and let it build into resentment and then let the relationship be ruined for it. So I, that I was very similar, mine. actually, mm-hmm. just kind of speaking up for myself and what I wanted. And we've, we've talked about this on the podcast before, I think, is speaking up for your needs and, and all that. Um, definitely takes some time. So there are other parts of the process where you might feel that you need to work on. Getting first dates. A lot of people feel like they can't even get to that point. Or, Maybe, or meeting people. Yes. Com- yeah. E- either way. Meeting someone at all, much less actually getting a first date. Figuring out how you want to initiate or ask someone for a second date. Maybe you're someone who often gets that, but then you don't feel that you get past the three date mark or the three month mark. Maybe you feel that you continue to get ghosted. That also is something that you can take responsibility for and you work on. What are some other ones, Brian? Every date feels like there's no chemistry, like you're looking for a spark. Mm -hmm. But I think both that and getting ghosted, yes, it's horrible when people ghost you. One, One time can be a fluke, but if you notice a pattern, whether you're not feeling chemistry or they are sort of walking away or ghosting you, you can't control their behavior. And it's shitty what they do if they're hurting you or being a shitty person. But what can you do differently? How can you approach those dates? What could I have done differently? How could I have led the conversation or talked about too much or too little or whatever that might be? Finding the part of the process where you are getting stuck. That could be three month marks. Like a three month in a relationship is oftentimes like if you go past this mark, it's sort of a can I see myself with this person for the next six months or year? And is there more potential or so maybe a person may have a bunch of three month relationships, but getting past that mark is, is more challenging. Or even someone may end up, may have a pattern where they end up in a lot of situationships, but not actual relationships. So they're very vague and non-committal. And that seems to be where they're stuck. Yeah. And that, I mean, that really does come down to a lot of communication and having bravery to ask the questions and have, have the talks. And again, that's something that you can learn. Something that I want wanted to talk about, which you do as well, is learning about your tendencies. And this is both conscious and unconscious. Sometimes people stick to a certain comfort zone in relationships, which, yeah, make prevent people from going farther than three months. Some people stick to a very specific type and that keeps them stuck in a cycle of things just continuing not to work out because you're just looking for really one thing. When it comes to comfort zone and type, I really, really encourage people to try to do things a little differently, especially if you're to the point that you're listening to this because you just feel like it's continuing not to work out. When maybe it comes to your comfort zone, maybe you prefer, yeah, to keep things surface level. Maybe you prefer to just text and maybe you prefer to not get vulnerable with someone. Maybe you prefer to present yourself as too vulnerable. (laughs) It's all, I mean, we can get really, really comfortable in doing the same thing over and over again, even if it is sabotaging to what we think we want. Staying stuck in those patterns 
um, feelings, it, it can contribute to the am I undateable, am I unlovable, will this ever end the cycle of first dates or this cycle of situationships. So that can kind of be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think we'll talk about this later, but how to reset some of these things is knowing what you're doing and doing something different to try and gather data, experiment, get some different information to see what what is it that I'm doing that may be contributing to this and how can I do things differently? Yeah, being self-reflective and taking responsibility for your own experience is a very powerful thing to do. I know we want to touch on attachment styles, and this is also something where we can get really comfortable and where we can put ourselves in a box. How many people do we talk to who say, I am an anxiously attached, I am this attachment style, rather than considering how I can maybe move towards more secure and just kind of allowing the same patterns to go on and on. So do you want to talk about attachment style just a little bit and how that can keep us feeling undateable sometimes for years? Yeah. Yeah. I think you've probably done episodes like fully on attachment Mm -hmm. and I don't want to get too deep here, but just as a refresher attachment styles, whether that's secure or anxious or avoidant, or there are some like variations, combinations of those are just ways our nervous system recognizes and reacts to input or stimulus from like a loved one growing up as a baby, as a toddler, that was from your parents. And you feel how safe you feel, how secure you feel, or how anxious you feel when something comes up that may be either smothering and you feel like, oh, I need to push this away or feel like something is pulling away. So I need to hold on tighter. So those kinds of things aren't necessarily bad. No one is broken for having an insecure attachment style. Um, They can be positive things. Avoidant people can have like a a better sense of freedom and independence and get a lot done. And an anxiously attached person can be more sensitive to other person's moods and and feelings and have like a really positive side to that as well. And, And so none of these are bad. They're just understanding what happens inside you and being able to counteract any sort of instincts or behaviors they may not be serving you. So a lot of times we see anxiously attached and avoidantly attached people sort of come together and be attracted to each other because they sort of feed off of each other's energy. I want to feel close. Oh, not too close. Oh, don't run away. Let me hold on tighter. And so that's a a common dynamic we see. It seems like there are fewer um, secure people out there, but I do think it's uh, one of the big reasons is because people don't try to move towards secure. I think there's this idea out there that these things are encoded in us and and they aren't. And that's, if you are really feeling that you're stuck in this pattern, maybe, yeah, look at yourself and how you can move towards more secure. And going through those kinds of short relationships or, or the um, situationships, whatever it is, that can contribute to a feeling of, am I undateable? Am I unlovable? Because I keep having these these cycles of patterns. And that's where it's good to know your patterns, your your instincts, your natural reactions, and then be able to counteract those, like we said. Yep. And you can do it. I used to be very avoidant. I consider myself to be very secure with a splash of avoidance. If you can move towards secure, not only will you have better relationships, you'll just be generally happier about your experiences. Okay. 
And of course, our favorite resource for this is Polysecure by Jessica Fern. It is a great manual for moving toward being more secure in your relationships. One reason why people stay stuck in the same patterns and get to the point where they feel that they may be undateable is because they actually aren't aware of what they're even looking for. Some people believe that they just need to date or want to date and are flying by the seat of their pants and not really knowing what they're after. And this is a surefire way to never get anywhere. (laughs) I love to work with my clients on this. A lot of people I work with are frustrated, do feel that they played out the same things in their last couple of relationships. I have about a one or two month process where we journal and email with each other about a few things. Some of this you'll, you've definitely heard before, and it might, may seem logical, but people don't sit down and actually write it out. The first thing that we do for week one, looking at our needs, wants, and desires. Fairly basic, but a lot of people struggle with just this first part. And if you do, just slow down, take it easy, think about this. You don't have to date right away, but this is important. I wonder how much of that, especially maybe for women or people who grew up in households where their needs weren't prioritized or seen as important. It's like, wait, I, I'm allowed to have needs. I'm allowed to ask for something. And maybe that I wonder if is kind of a, a big growth point for people realizing that it's okay to want something and not just settle for somebody picking you. That kind of thing. Get what you settle for, for sure. And also not knowing what your desires are is a great way to not have them fulfilled. (laughs) Next, we talk about what are the red flags or the roadblocks in dating. What do you want to look for and avoid or walk away from? This, too, some people struggle with. I would say this is a little easier than what people want is coming up with what you don't want. Maybe that is, you know, commentary on society and social media today, but it's so important, especially if you're stuck in patterns and cycles. Why don't you think about these, which we're going to talk about and think about what you want to avoid next time. Next, what type of partner do I want to be? I think a lot of times we have in our mind an image or a concept of the person, the kind of partner we want. But we have to also remember we have to be the kind of person who is compatible with them. Mm-hmm. And that think, think about if I want someone who's smart, successful, whatever that means, um, ambitious, whatever that means, active, um, emotionally intelligent, are we the type of person that that person would also be attracted to? That could be looks-wise, activity-wise. If you want somebody who's super fit and very active, but you don't leave the house very much, (laughs) like your lifestyles have to match. You have to have similar communication styles. If you want someone who's very emotionally intelligent and communicative and and has a a healthy way of of being, but you still have some triggers. We talked about that in a recent episode. Some things where your communication may be a little bit, uh, you know, have room for improvement. You have to also think, am I leveled up to the point where I can attract what I am looking for, hoping for Yep. stage in life, personal again. growth level, uh, stage in life or personal growth level. Like if I want to settle down and buy a house, am I, you know, at the point where I'm ready for that and, and, and looking for a partner who, who's looking for that as well, or am I wanting to travel and 
need to know that if somebody wants to save all their money and not leave the house, not go out because they want to buy a house, but I enjoy traveling once a year, my priorities are going to be different. My values are different. My views on finance or religion, whatever might be different. So not just what you're looking for, but who you are. And I hate the phrase, like, what do you bring to the table? What do you bring to the table? But just kind of what is your offering? Who are you in the dynamic or the equation of that relationship? Super important and a great way to think about stopping your patterns and who could you show up and be this person with. And last, we talk about boundaries. What are my boundaries? This is probably the thing people struggle with the most. But again, if you are stuck in patterns, this may be one reason why. If you don't know what your boundaries are and they become violated and you become unhappy, definitely something to look at. Now we're going to talk about the attraction radar and how to reset it. And Brian, you use this term. And would you just say that the attraction radar is what you are, what your type is? Yeah, I'd say it's what your type is and what your type is not. So if you tend to always go for tall, dark, and handsome or artsy guys or or girls with tattoos, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and other people may seem boring or not your type. That's the thing. Like if you keep going after a certain type and that's not working for you, this is the point to reflect on what what are I looking for? Is that compatible with the type that I keep going for? Yep. And again, we encourage you to go outside of that. Some of the happiest marriages that I am aware of, including one of my heroes in the space, Damona Hoffman, are two people who did not think that they were each other's type. They went for it anyway. They went on the fact that they had great conversations and they are blissfully happy today. So I really encourage you to think about this. Let's talk about how to reset it. First of all, you need to know what your patterns are in in order to reset them. So I have an exercise that is called the love map. A lot of coaches do something similar. I'm going to walk you through really, really quick. First of all, you take, if you can, a piece of paper and write down maybe every relationship you've ever had or every relationship maybe since you graduated high school or, you know, really when you felt that you started having adult mature relationships. Underneath each person, you write the pros of the relationship, the cons of the relationship or person, why you were attracted to the person. This is an interesting one. What was happening in the days and weeks leading up to meeting or being romantic with the person? What was your state of mind? How was your life going? Were you even seeking a relationship? And then in two to three sentences, why did the relationship end from your point of view? And then, of course, we're going to go back and look at any overlaps. And this may be the reality check that you need to finally start doing something new in dating. I'm I'm curious about the question, the second to last, and if you had um, observations of, of clients who found that maybe they got into relationships Mm -hmm. when they were feeling down or like certain things going on in their life. Like where did this question come from and and why do you think it's relevant for people to kind of find their pattern? 
Yes, because you may find that you got into relationships consistently when you perhaps were really fired up about life or when you were on the apps so much. Or you may find that consistently you fell into it because maybe you felt lonely. Maybe you wanted kind of the band-aid. Maybe you were looking for company. And this is so important when it comes to looking at why you are stuck thinking thinking what what your state of mind was because I think some people get into relationships as a band-aid or to make themselves feel better or in order to fill a void in their life and if you can recognize that you've done that maybe you'll want to get to a better place before you continue to to date right now yeah and I that's a really great point and I also see some people use dating as a way to avoid working on themselves like I just got a relationship or a marriage. I should go to therapy. I should be alone for a while. I should kind of do some work on myself. But it's easier to get into another relationship and not have to deal with the person in the mirror, like the feelings you have, and just sort of self-medicate by getting into another relationship that will kind of block out those feelings. And I've had clients who have noticed through doing this that they had only been a month or two or three out of their last relationship. And so, and that is maybe why they're stuck because they haven't gone back and done all this, this reflection, which is crazy. But I have had multiple clients say that that was a big realization for them. So related to this is the comfort zone. So Brian, why don't you talk us through how to push yourself to get out of the comfort zone? Because especially in dating where you're trying to build a skill set, you're trying to connect with people, it's already uncomfortable enough to go out and try and make a romantic connection from scratch. So how do you encourage yourself to to do it? I I think the comfort zone is where our patterns lie because we keep doing the same thing or what's comfortable to us, what's familiar to us. So to get out of your patterns, you have to get out of your comfort zone into like a new pathway. So it's sort of opposite or different than what you would normally gravitate towards with no expectations. So you're just gathering data, experimenting, trying new things and resetting a little bit of the attraction radar or what feels normal for you. So the comfort zone might be in terms of the type of person or their looks or ethnicity, background, job, Uh, Maybe people who would normally be meh or like boring, boring on the surface might be a little bit better for you. And um, so you you never know until you try. You want to to get out of the comfort zone, avoid chasing butterflies. Yes, I love this one. The romanticized anxiety. Oh, there was no spark. There was no butterflies. And a lot of times that spark is, is sort of like, a red flag because it's triggering your sort of sensor for this feels like love, but the version of love you learned was it's n- not healthy or, or whatever. Yes. And it's not really sustainable most of the time. This is one of the things that I love, especially working with women on. And also that one of the things that frustrates me the most is I will hear that they had great conversations through the apps, that they seem like such a good fit. And yes, we had great conversations. We talked for two hours, but I just didn't feel the spark. I'm like, girl, what? That's the thing that you want right there. What did you want to feel? I mean, you just described to me the absolute perfect first date. Yeah, and I, I say romanticize anxiety because Hollywood and fairy tales have this 
have given us this idea that, oh, there's going to be like the meat cute or the fireworks going off and you're just going to know it when you have it. So butterflies, like if that's the issue for you, stop chasing butterflies, go on that second date, that third date, give it two or three dates to see if the attraction builds, if the chemistry builds. Some people aren't super outgoing, especially if someone they just met, they may not be super funny or talkative, may need a little bit of time to come out of their shell. And on the converse, you have people who are just charismatic and funny and charming with everyone. And it's not actual chemistry. It's just that they are very personable or very, very charismatic. So you need to get past that. Give it that second, third date. A good conversation Um, is a second date, if you ask me. And just for the record, my last meet cute ended up being a disaster. I think when you have a meet cute, it's so easy to start to write a story about how it's going to turn out. So please, 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 yes, avoid the butterflies. Just connect on an intellectual level. Definitely. And as you say, like the chemistry, the the butterflies, the the fireworks aren't going to be there every day for the next 20, 30 years until you die happily ever after. You have to have a foundation of the intellectual compatibility or chemistry, like the humor, just like the platonic side of it has to be there. You have to be friends more than just somebody who you like staring into their eyes. Cause after a while <laughs> staring into somebody's eyes is going to get old. Um, <laughs> part of getting out of your comfort zone and trying new things is going into dates, but dropping the intention of, is this going to be my soulmate? So just going in, into dates of, am I having fun? Is this person a good person? Do I want to see them again? And dropping the expectations or the attachment to the outcome of things. So all of this is in order to provide yourself new evidence to rewrite your limiting beliefs, get past your insecurities. I'm bald, but they still like me, whatever that is, about what you deserve or are capable of attracting. They liked me even though I feel unlovable or unattractive and they had a great time with me. So it's all about getting out of that comfort zone, breaking the patterns and getting new evidence to help you feel more confident. And we are going to take a quick commercial break and then come back and yes, talk about one of my favorite topics, how to build your confidence and prove to yourself that you are dateable. Nothing shatters your life like a breakup. And the feeling of a broken heart is real. I know that it seems impossible right now, but there is hope and there are ways to heal. I would love to work with you one-on-one to heal your broken heart and put your breakup behind you. My personalized coaching programs are designed to pinpoint what will be most effective in helping you to move forward and make this breakup a part of your past. I believe in you. Message me at breakupspodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram at breakupspodcast and let's connect about creating a magical plan of action to get this breakup in your rear view mirror. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening to my sponsors. I appreciate that. So one of the main themes of today's episode is building confidence so that you can get out there, try new things, and accept that you are dateable. Brian, I'll let you take the lead with this, and I'll pop back in in a minute. 
Yeah, so we talked about insecurities and limiting beliefs, how you can work on those on your own in order to get past the things that may be holding you up internally, holding you back from going after what it is you want. And the next step from that is like actually taking action. And it takes not only believing in yourself, but having like the confidence that you can do the thing in order to do the thing. So let's talk about in order to get past that and have success in dating, that takes, as we talked about, some dating skills. So just high-level communication and dating skills, how to meet people, have good conversations, flirt, banter, et cetera. And having a coach can help. There's lots of books out there in practice. Nothing like getting out there and and getting experience in the real world, um, Mm -hmm. learning as you go. You also want to build self-esteem and self-confidence. So confidence is one of the most attractive things you can have because when you have it, you're just sort of glowing and shining and more charismatic. Your, Your posture is better. You it's kind of people can tell when somebody is confident versus when they're not. And not only that, but if you don't have the confidence, you're not going to say the thing or take the action. So confidence allows you to actually do the thing and follow your desires, say the thing, talk to the person you want to talk to, continue down that road of, of following your desires. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how to build confidence and some tips people can take away from this in order to build the confidence to go and do the things. So first of all, one thing that I just wanted to touch on, and I've been wanting to do an episode on this for ages, and that is work really hard to get out of victim mode. If you're listening to this, you may have narratives and stories in your mind. Nothing works out for me. There's no one good out there. Maybe blaming other people for your problems. Maybe blaming your ex for messing you up so much. And I encourage you, if you have these kind of negative things in your mind, if you find that you are someone who complains a lot, really catch that and maybe either work with someone to get out of victim mode, do some reading on how to get out of victim mode. One reason being that, first of all, you're not going to have confidence because you're not taking any responsibility for your life. And if you're going to do that, you have to be confident enough to look at yourself. But also it is one of the most unattractive things that you can bring out into the dating world when you're trying to meet someone is this mentality. Definitely, definitely. Stepping back and and defining confidence. So we are starting from the same place. Confidence Mm -hmm. is the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. So in this case, yourself, self-confidence. Yes. It's also a feeling of self-assurance arising from your appreciation of your own abilities and qualities. Um, So having the confidence to parallel park because you've done it before and you know how to do it. (laughs) Good example. Confidence to give a presentation. If it's your first time, maybe you don't have the confidence because you don't have the experience and the the experience to let yourself know, oh, I've done this before. I've made it through the other side. I will be safe. I'll be okay. The first time may be nerve wracking, but after doing five presentations, then you're like, oh, I've done this before. I'm okay. It's not that hard. I am confident. And then you go into it with a, a easier frame of mind. Yeah. I used to have a really limiting belief that I couldn't be self-sufficient because I had just gone through so many years of just looking externally to make things happen in my life. And so when I first got here, got my own apartment and then just made it happen for myself and not having to rely on anyone. The first time I did it, yeah, I felt so great. And then every time that I have have had money problems because I've done it so many times and 
made it happen for myself, I'd never really worry about it anymore. Easier said than done, but easy way to start building confidence are setting small goals so you can keep your promises to yourself. That could be things like waking up at seven or going to bed at 11 instead of two in the morning, making your bed every morning, reading 30 minutes a day, exercising once or three times a week or whatever, saying hello or talking to one person a day. And then you can gradually, gradually make bigger goals and stick to them. I, I also like giving compliments like without expectation, you just, oh, I love your shirt. Oh, I love your shoes. Okay, and then like you, you walk you walk away, but it gives you, oh, wait, I talked to a person, a stranger that I don't, I don't know. I've never seen. And it wasn't the end of the world. So it's small steps that allow you to take bigger steps. And those small steps give you the feeling of confidence. I am capable. Oh, yeah. And then you can take those bigger steps after that. Yeah. And also setting small goals is a great way to build self-trust, which in turn (laughs) builds self-confidence. And of course, my favorite tip of all is the power of spending time alone, loving your own company, feeling confident and secure enough to go out into public on your own, to go to a restaurant on your own, to spend the weekend on your own is going to help you to feel unstoppable. If you don't need someone around you, you're not going to look for a partner to fill a void. People are going to tell how comfortable you are with yourself and you're going to know that you can can do it. And so I really, really encourage people, take yourself out on dates, lean into the discomfort of having a weekend without any plans, spend Sunday on your own, go on trips, all of these things. It really, really helps. That was definitely the secret to my success when it came to to building the confidence that I have now. Another way to build confidence in yourself is to kind of combat the comparison that we see, especially with social media, Facebook, Instagram, everybody has great lives, big successes, all these things. <laughs> and when you look back at yourself, okay, I've gotten through my insecurity. Okay, it's okay, I'm bald or I'm short or whatever it is, gone through my limiting belief, but why am I dateable? Why am I lovable? I still kind of need to get over the edge. Well, a good exercise to do is to sort of lit a list of things why you're a great person, an awesome person, somebody that somebody else would love to date. So it can be hard to think of yeah. right off the bat. It's like you can start with 25 and, and 25 seems like an overwhelming number, but here's some, I'll give you some examples to start. And then once you hit 25, then go to 50 and keep going. Yeah. And you realize they've got all these things. So it's as simple as I'm a good listener. I'm a hard worker. I'm a loyal friend. I make really great spaghetti Yum. and all the lyrics to whatever Taylor Swift song, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, I have a good sense of style. I have great taste in music. I have a big book collection. I speak a foreign language. I've visited five countries. Whatever those is, those are awesome things about you. You can talk about on dates. They make you a, a more interesting, well-rounded person. It's sort of like trivia for positive things about you. And again, I, I don't like the term what you bring to the table, but these are things about you that make you this awesome person that somebody would be lucky to date. I think of this as the single person portfolio. So not only what's what makes you uniquely you, but also the things that you talk about on dates, the things that make you interesting. Obviously, one of the things in mine is that I go to Tombstone two times a year. And 
the fact that, yes, I have been to multiple countries. The things that make you interesting, I really encourage you to build your single person portfolio. Also, it will make you secure whether or not you have a relationship. And then when you are in the relationship, it will make you a better partner because you have your own life and your portfolio that is separate from your partner's. Another way to build confidence is to start building social skills. And not yes. all of us are born. Like I was an only child. I didn't have a lot of people to talk with. And I was kind of shy growing up, still kind of shy. But not everybody is born with that kind of natural ability to talk to anyone. To start building social skills, you can start small. You can start with first steps, smiling or making eye contact with strangers. Yes. Walking by or whatever. I do that. Yes. I smile. I'm a pedestrian. I don't have a car. I live in downtown Denver. And when I'm out and about, I am smiling whether or not someone is walking by and yes when someone does walk by looking at them and and giving them a little smile it just generally makes you more confident i don't it's also a very attractive thing and magnetic yeah. thing to be able to look a stranger in the eye and smile yeah and i don't know about women as much but like for men we do kind of the nod and kind of acknowledging <laughs> yeah. each other's presence and and even in working from home and not going out much, but those social connections, you feel less lonely because you smiled at somebody or you nodded. Mm -hmm. The next step might be to say hello. Yeah. And then next step might be small talk with the barista or the grocery <laughs> clerk. Uh, just kind of small chat. Oh, great weather. Oh, it's supposed to rain tomorrow. Just kind of these small bits of talk. Oh, I talked to a stranger and I didn't collapse. I didn't kind of die out of fear oh, really? or whatever. Next, it might be like a stranger in an elevator, a person walking a dog. Oh, great dog you got there. Do you mind if I say hello? And then you have like a 10-second, mm -hmm. 30-second, two-minute chat with that person. I mentioned this, but like giving compliments. Maybe you're standing in line in the coffee shop or out and about. Oh, I love your shoes. Those kind of things where you're giving good energy, you're feeling good energy. And all of these are not attached to outcome. They're just small talk, building social skills, giving you confidence that you can talk to strangers and have it not blow up in your face and not kind of be mortifying. I, I love this so much. One of my favorite tips, and I know that this is not accessible to everyone and may seem extremely intimidated to a lot of people, but something that's done it for me and which has also bled into what our next point is, is the social circle, is I have a go-to place in my neighborhood, as many people know, and it has a sweeping bar top. And there are so many single people there all the time. It's very social. People are kind of facing each other. Not only has it helped me to, yeah, build my confidence because I feel like I can go in there and, and chat and just kind of see what happens. It has helped me to actually build my social circle. I was kind of new here in this neighborhood when I started going there. And I can easily say that half of my closest friends currently are people I met at Ritual, which which is the name of, of the place. And it has helped me to feel loved and wanted and I guess sought after and supported and just generally kind of proud of building this from scratch. And so if you're struggling with your confidence, yeah, look to your social circle and how can you water those relationships? Yeah, that, that's a great story. It reminds me another way to have confidence, to have like a go-to spot. And your story reminded me of a restaurant in San Francisco that I, after I realized, I realized I've had like three or four really great first dates and sort of gave me like, like 
athletes in the lucky sock. Like if I go there, I know it's probably going to be a great date. So <laughs> I had a restaurant where it'd be not every date, but um, that was kind of one of my go-to places where I knew the menu, I knew the environment, um, I knew where to walk to after, kind of take a, a nice walk after the date. And that gave me confidence that there's something familiar and then I, I can be confident in there. I know, know things about it and I've had success here before. So it's kind of a lucky charm almost. Yeah, I do suggest that for first dates is go somewhere where you're fairly comfortable. I have taken dates to Ritual. There's also another bar that's a little fancier that I've gone on first dates with. And again, if you know what to expect, at least in one regard of your first date, it does make you more comfortable. Yeah. I mean, Let's yeah. just face it. So Less yeah, things to be worried about, anxious about. What am I going to order? I'm not talking. I'm staring at the menu. Yeah, if you know what's good and, and you can be comfortable in that part of it, you can more focus on the other person. And another tip that Brian actually put in here and something that is bound to grow your confidence is initiate things. Have people over for games, organize barbecues. If you take the initiative and then kind of see it work out, even in the smallest way, it's going to make you feel great and you'll be able to accept more dates. You'll be able to initiate more dates. And I mean, there's also something to be said for just having the warm fuzzies of having friends yeah. around you. Yeah, friendships, depending on how you go about it, it can be a great way to expand your social circle and, and meet new singles. I have a friend who started a Sunday, like once a month Sunday brunch thing. And everybody who came was supposed to bring someone new. And they went from like five, 10 people. And then there were like 50 plus people on their group chat. And so- mm -hmm. There's single people in those, and then you're making connections, you're making dates from, you know, maybe people that you know, or like you met through the your social circle through these gatherings. And those people are maybe a higher likelihood of a, a good dating experience. Probably not going to ghost you if your best friend introduced you because they're <laughs> the brother of their boss or whatever it is. So there's a little bit more social validation or social security in that because yeah. they are a known quantity and not like a stranger that can disappear into the night. Well, that's cool. I organize a once monthly brunch for my ex-Mormon group. And I have to say it has made me feel really proud of myself for bringing people together. And I've really been through it this year. I have to say, like, I would have never thought that it was going to be such a hard year, but having those brunches every month that I organized and I brought people together on my own, it gave me, it gave me the boost. It made me feel like I had a purpose. It made me feel like I was doing one thing right in life. And so that would be probably be where the other half of my friends come from is just this brunch. I think that community and that connection is fantastic. Like we need that for our mental well-being, for our longevity, but also if you're trying to date, you're struggling in dating, that gives you something to at least look forward to, to have going on that fills you up. So you're not putting all of your self-confidence or your self-worth on how a first date went, or if you got any matches on hinge that week, you have something that's at least, you know, propping you up. It's like a table, you got your work, your friends, your community, if you're the only leg of that table is how your dating life is going, you're, it's going to be a very wobbly table. So having that community, those connections is super important. There are so many other things in life than dating. And there are so many other things in life that help us to find value and that to make us 
and that help us feel worthy. So I definitely want everyone to get to the point where they feel dateable. But remember, this is, yes, just one factor in in the equation. And if there's nothing going on with your friend group, be like Janice and be the one that starts it. Start (laughs) something. It can be like a holiday gathering or like a monthly thing, a game night, whatever it is. Be the one that starts it and be kind of the, the change in bringing that community together. Another part of your single person portfolio. Brian, wow, what a great episode. What a great idea that you had to do this. As, as always, you've got great ideas. Everyone go and check out Brian C. Dunn. That's done with two ends.com. Of course, his information will be in the show notes and let us know what you think you know pop into our dms on instagram let us know if this helped you let us know if there's another episode that you would like to see brian and i do together we're obviously a great team to take a really deep dive (laughs) into some of these topics so um, let us know what to do next And with that, if you are going through a breakup or finding dating challenging right now, I'm wishing you so much strength for the week ahead. And I hope you enjoyed the episode and know that you are by all means very, very dateable. Thank you for listening to Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On with Janice Formicella. I sincerely hope that you found today's episode inspirational or useful. I would love to support you on your healing journey. All you have to do is send me a message on Instagram at breakupspodcast or email me at breakupspodcast at gmail.com and I will be in touch to get you started. Remember, if you are struggling with a broken heart, your feelings are temporary. I am sending you so much love and luck for the week ahead. You've got this.